I'm Edward Schuler, and this is Bulls Gold on Nothing But Net Radio, part of Dash Radio, joined alongside by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how's it going today, man? Good, Edward. Just uh, enjoying my uh, weekend, I guess, and trying to get ready for the game later today. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get to see the Bulls rematch with the Houston Rockets after a uh, kind of like a 21-point loss to Houston on Friday in a very anticipated preseason debut but it was very eventful and we're going to discuss everything that happened uh friday and joining us and returning to the show uh host of bulls hq mark karenzoulis mark long time no speak glad to have you back man yeah it's been, it's been a while guys but i'm um, glad to be back on and uh glad to be talking some balls with you it's 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 kind of weird that we're actually get a chance to actually talk about Bulls basketball for a change and not mm. Bulls off-season, Bulls coaching changes, Bulls uh, front office changes, all that sort of nonsense. So um, it, it's it's kind of weird just to be talking basketball again, but it's, uh, it's a welcome change. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a long off-season and it built up a lot of anticipation and we saw it all come to a head Friday night. And again, the Bulls lost to Houston 125 to 104 and it was a lopsided game for pretty much the entirety but a lot of different things happened we got to see uh Wendell Carter Jr. taking three-point shots I mean he didn't make any of them but he took a lot of three-point shots which I was happy to see we got to see the debut of Patrick Williams which excited a lot of people we got to see Kobe White starting at point guard and leading the offense so a a lot of different things to break down despite the 20-point loss Mark, what were some things that jumped out at you when you watched this game? Well, I think the the first one that you're one of the ones that you referenced there, Wendell Carter shooting threes was interesting. Not just shooting threes, but like it's not like he put up one or two threes; he put up five, as he mentioned. So that was very interesting. Didn't make any, but um, the fact that he was prepared to actually throw them up, given. You know, he, he took maybe 20 or 33s all of last season. To have five in a preseason game, I thought was was an interesting insight into maybe his mindset and how the coaching staff have, under Billy Donovan, have maybe sort of instilled some confidence back into Wendell Carter Jr. I know there was uh, factions of the fan base, at least on Twitter from what I could see, that were not too thrilled with Wendell Carter getting up five three-point attempts. <laughs> but um, I thought it was a positive, so that's, that, that was interesting to me, but... Yeah, I think the other big one beyond maybe Patrick Williams was just seeing how that backcourt functioned and how that would, I guess, work. Now, we didn't really get too much of an insight given that Zach Levine and Kobe White didn't necessarily play too much minutes given that it's preseason. Billy Donovan made it pretty clear that his starters won't be playing big minutes in preseason. He's going to be throwing around those lineups. So, I don't know how much we have to, uh, to glean from what we saw in game one. Maybe we get more in game two, more exposure to that, but... Uh, I think Kobe White and how he sort of handles that point guard duty or that lead guard duty, that's ultimately going to be the storyline of the season. That's going to dictate how good or bad the Bulls will be this season. One thing I was surprised by was uh, after the game, Billy Donovan mentioned like he didn't really have the team look at you know the Rockets, how they play in, in sets and things like that. He kind of just free-falled it and it seemed like he kind of wanted to see who would sink or swim on the Bulls. What were your thought process on that and how did you like his approach going into that game doing something uh, in that situation? Yeah, look, I, I wasn't too... I wasn't too concerned with those comments in part because the, the Houston Rockets looked completely different and 
I guess you could scout maybe what individuals like to do, but in terms of scouting uh, a team like the Rockets as, as to what they will or won't do, that's probably made more difficult given that this is an entirely different look Houston Rockets where, you know, you co- the old coach is gone. Well, I mean, James Harden is meant to be there, but wasn't there. Uh, effectively, their offense was run through DeMarcus Cousins, John Wall, two guys who you haven't seen play for two years. So, Look, it obviously would be better to scout them, but at the same time, it's not not like there's too much information on a Houston team level to scout at this point. So um, I I wasn't too concerned with it. I got it from from his point of view in terms of just focusing on what the Bulls needed to do, what what the changes they were implementing. Um, But, you know, irrespective of who who it was, whether it's the Rockets, any other team, but just the way the, the Bulls came out, the lack of energy, the way they operated, I think they would have been uh, they would have been well and truly pounced by any team, to be honest with you, even if they did do some scouting. Yeah, it was like uh, to to me, and we were talking about this in the episode before of a preseason game, but it was basically a theory of how would you feel about this Bulls team if they still lose a lot of games, but they play a relatively practical style of basketball. And we find things out about this team that makes sense for a future. Like we find out if Wendell Carter Jr. can actually be a competent three-point shooter, where we can run parts of the offense through him as a passing hub, whether or not Kobe White is a you know type of primary or secondary playmaker for others, or just answering questions about this team and evaluating them. And I I think this game, even though they lost by 20, even though there was a lot of rust and the energy wasn't where it should have been. And frankly, Houston, even without James Harden, was probably a bad matchup for them. But I was just encouraged to see different things happening that I think can help us evaluate players better. Like, again, mentioning it again, Wendell Carter Jr. taking open shots is a great thing. And I know people are mad that he he was taking them so much and he was missing them, but he's taking the shots. And after so many years of him getting the ball in that position and then just dribbling back and looking for someone to hand the ball off to, I was really encouraged by that. And even though Kobe White didn't look natural as a playmaker to me, and I and I still think his role is probably best suited as a uh like scoring punch off the bench or maybe as an off guard. I'm glad that they're at least giving him a chance to sink or swim with this role and to see if he can improve with it or not. So what did you what did both of you guys think of uh, Kobe White's early returns in this game as the starting point guard and uh, playmaker in his offense? Yeah, I thought when he focused on himself and he just his usual game and I, I kind of feel similarly, Edward, like I, to me, he's just a scoring guard. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean he's a point guard, doesn't necessarily mean he's a shooting guard. I, I, I think he probably fits better as a two, but ultimately he's just a guy that's he, his ultimate value will be just coming in and scoring buckets and doing so quickly. And, and I think that was obviously who he was last season. That's why he looked so good in the last sort of 10 to 15 games last season because that's what he was doing. And in the moments in this first preseason game where he looked like his old self, let's say, even though he's obviously very young, was when he was just getting buckets for himself, when he was just getting downhill, trying to work and pick and roll for himself, trying to get into the lanes and scoring at the basket or spotting up for those three-point shots. So Kobe looked really good when he was being Kobe, when he was trying to be the lead creator or the the main guy sort of operating or, or trying to function the offense, let's say. 
Uh, that's when he looked not so great, when he was trying to create downhill and pick and roll for others, where he was trying to move the ball for others. Um, he just doesn't have the reads yet. I don't know if he ever will, but if you compare the way Sadoransky played point guard, just pure point guard, versus the way Kobe White was playing point guard, it, it's it's day and night. I mean, it's just it's it's and look, obviously that's not a fair standard given Sadoransky's you know close to thirty, has played international basketball, has so much more years experience being a point guard, let's say, versus Kobe White who's still learning the position. So it's not a fair comparison but uh, to me that was stark the, the, the differences in the two so I don't know we, we kind of saw two versions of Kobe White one who the, the natural version of him the, the one that wants to go out there and score and can score in bunches versus the Kobe White who was trying to lead the offense and be the lead creator and it was interesting to see Zach Levine sort of let him do that uh, that, that was that was probably an interesting aspect of it all as well but uh, I think we're just going to go going to go through these growing pains with Kobe and uh, similarly to what you said about Wendell, like now is the time to try this sort of stuff. Like I'm not a big believer as Kobe White point guard and I, I have had my concerns about how he and Levine sort of fit together in the backcourt. I think there's a little bit too much crossover. But having said that, even me as a, as a skeptic, like this is the time to figure it out. Like this is when you should be trying it. If it's not going, if we're not going to try these things now in meaningless preseason games, then why should we be be trying them in you know actual games that matter deep in the fourth quarters and those sorts of things? So hmm. I just didn't get the, uh, I didn't understand the criticism. Uh, but uh, yeah, now now is the time to find out. Yeah, I agree. Like when he started, he looked completely uncomfortable trying to you know run the offense and trying to find guys. He looked a lot more comfortable looking for his own shot. Again, when he was driving to the basket, looking for his own shot to finish at the rim, he looked more comfortable doing stuff like that. I did think he had a couple of possessions where he actually looked made some nice plays for his teammates. Even like uh, Will Gottlieb pointed out uh, a play or two that he made that was, oh, yeah, that's nice. It's nice to see at least that he can be capable of making nice reads on offense and and finding open guys out on the perimeter, uh, just kind of keeping his head on the swivel as opposed to just uh, having tunnel vision at, at the basket. So we'll see how that goes. And you know, Mark is 100% right. This is the perfect time to find out. And not only in preseason, I would say this year in general because you really don't have another point guard. Obviously, we have Sadoransky, but Sadoransky is – always going to be a, a backup in a sense in this league so we need to find out if kobe can ever even you know become down the line any type of, of a point guard maybe a playmaker that way if he isn't then we know for sure then maybe we decide who to pick between zach and kobe if maybe we need to move one of them um and then next year's draft maybe we draft a point guard but yeah i think i think that that is definitely going to be we're gonna to have to figure a lot of things out with this roster this year and kind of going into that this season i wonder i do wonder as the season progresses and if kobe for a reason just never shows any progress i'm I'm starting to wonder like knowing that billy does like those three guard lineups and maybe with sato does have a sort of a bounce back year uh compared to last season under playing under jim Boyle, and i wonder if he'll be we'll see a lot of lineups with zach kobe and sato uh in there I, I like Sadoransky's too. I know he gets a lot of crap from fans, but to me, I always viewed the Sadoransky signing as he's a guy meant to complement your players that you want to break out. 
And if he's in a position where he has to do anything more than that, where he has to take over games and score 20 or be like a 18, 20 point per game scorer, then he's in the wrong role. But if you can get him in a lineup where he can run the offense, he can hit open shots and he plays decent team defense, I still think he's a valuable like piece in that sense. So when you talk about these like these uh, bigger lineups, these bigger versatile lineups, and I saw uh, Mark tweeting about that throughout the game where you have like Hutchinson, where you have Porter, where you have Patrick Williams. I'm a, I'm a fan of those lineups because there's so much defensive versatility and the, it, it just feels like a lineup that is meant to really fit the direction that I think this front office really wants to go to where they can have guys who can guard each wing position and they can increase the athleticism and have a quick four in in Patrick Williams. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out over the season. It's such a, a contrast from what we have with Larry Markman, who is basically just a uh, one position player because he, he you, I mean, you could play him at the five, but then he's a defensive liability. And if you keep him at the four, I mean, he can work. But if teams go small, then he's also a defensive liability. So I'm looking forward to seeing how those those lineups uh, will work, too. Yeah, that, that was the most interesting aspect of the first game for me. And I understand why some fans maybe weren't too thrilled to be hearing about how the second unit is functioning and and how the second unit looks really nice and how it can be a weapon for this team all that sort of stuff particularly you know when Kobe, Zach, Wendell, Larry etc aren't necessarily having the best performances themselves so I I get why people don't want to hear about that at at that point but and maybe this was me sort of fishing or looking for um, looking for some positives out of a pretty damn bad game (laughs) but to your point Edward I mean like the, the team was running lineups out there that had three wings on it. I mean, when was the last time we've seen that in Chicago? I I, I really can't remember, to be yeah. honest with you. And well, I, just going back to last season where we were running three-guard lineups, not because of choice, but out of necessity. You had Ryan Archidiakno, Chris Dunn, Shaq Harrison playing small forward. To go from that to then seeing lineups where, because Thad Young was out, you could play those three, three wings together, but you had Otto Porter... Uh, Patrick Williams, Chandler Hutchinson out there, all you know, six seven or bigger, and then Sadoransky himself being six foot seven as a point guard. Whether you put Wendell Carter at center, whether you put Daniel Gafford at center, like that's a big, athletic, mobile, two way sort of versatile lineup. Now, that was really interesting to me. Yeah, like mm. just comparing that lineup to, to lineups that we saw last season, the, the stark differences how as to how big and athletic they were. That was that was really cool to me. So. Um, I'm very interested to see how Billy throws that around. I, I kind of agree that Sadoransky will get minutes with the starters, potentially with Zach and Kobe, because he is six foot seven. And you know, I uh, whilst it was nice to see Otto and Chandler Hutchinson out there, I, I remain to be convinced at this point that they will be fully healthy and operational throughout the entire season. So there probably will be there probably will be times where he runs three guard lineups, and and maybe that'll function well. Obviously, we need to see how it all plays out, but. I really like what I saw from that second unit. Again, probably not what we want to be talking about. <laughs> we would probably rather be talking about Larry Markman or Kobe White, you know, looking absolutely dominant. But um, I, I, I was very into that second unit lineup. I want to talk about Patrick Williams. I, I really liked uh, what I saw from him, obviously, being only 19, coming into his first game. He looked like he was someone that played in the league 
for a long time and he looked very comfortable. Um, he didn't do anything too flashy. It was very fundamental basketball. He got to his spots on the floor. He, you saw his physicality being able to, when he was making a drive to the basket, like he, you saw him able to just have guys bounce off him, came in with a nice floater. Um, defensively, uh, his IQ was so high already where, where you see guys like Levine and Lowry struggle playing help defense. He knows how to read opposing offenses, you know, come in and cover the paint, you know, help out in general. So seeing all those little things from him was very encouraging at such a young age. And then obviously you also see his athleticism and the potential overall. So it, it, it made me very encouraged and hopeful that he could even have a good rookie season and beyond. Uh, what were your thoughts on him, Mark, when you saw a lot of the things that he did out there? Yeah, I, defensively, I completely agree. I mean, he's already so much more advanced than Larry Mark, and it's not even funny. Like from a pure help defense standpoint, like, and, and it was again, it was very stark watching the Bulls starting lineup versus the Bulls second unit, where that that second unit actually looked looked and feel like more of a modern team, I guess where they were actually spacing the floor and you had the one guard out there, you had the three wings and, and the one the one big, whereas obviously in the starting lineup, the Bulls have those two traditional bigs and they really struggled to guard the Houston Rockets, whereas you know you sort of see Patrick Williams playing at the four because Thad Young was out. You could sort of see the template of the modern-day power forward in Patrick Williams and the way he went about it. So defensively, he looked really good, really strong. He is very strong. I mean, the kid is an absolute unit. I think that was pretty clear just uh, from just from seeing him on the screen. But I guess what was very interesting to me and maybe what I wasn't expecting so soon, maybe hopeful of it, maybe towards the back end of his rookie season as he got more reps and stuff, but just how confident he looked on offense. And not, not to say he was uh, you know, just you know tearing it up offensively. The moves that he did display weren't huge or you know they weren't um, – great isolation isolation moves but he, he showed a little he showed a little more off the bounce than what I was expecting not because he didn't necessarily have those skills but I just wasn't sure if he would be willing to go out there and maybe put those skills on display in your first preseason game but we saw him sort of taking one two three four five dribbles whatever it was incorporating some spin moves throwing up some floaters walking into his mid-range jumpers quite confidently I like those that aspect of his game, the confidence and the poise to just go after his own offense, that that wasn't something I was expecting this soon. So to see that right now, um, that was a very big positive to me. Mm. Yeah, I, I liked one play I really liked is when he brought the ball up the court, um, kind of came in, did a little hezzy move, and kind of got into his mid-range jumper. That was a really nice thing to see. Um, and it kind of reminded me of those... Uh, workout videos, the the pickup games, and I know a lot of those games are like, well, you know, it's not really competitive, but it's like, you know, the the eye te- test when you're looking at the video, those videos, and then, then you see him actually do it in the game. It's like, okay, well, maybe there's more to those videos than we actually wanted to originally admit. So it, that was a really great moment for me in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think Patrick Williams and what I like about this pick is that it feels like the and not to scare anyone by bringing up John Paxson but when John Paxson was the general manager in his most successful uh stretch with the Bulls he was picking players like Luol Deng and like a Kirk Heinrich players who had good defensive ability 
had really good fundamentals, solid basketball IQ, who played the game the right way. And it was just a matter of tapping into the upside in other areas. And that's what this Patrick Williams pick feels like. Like he's a really smooth player. It looks like he has really good timing in different areas, really good fundamentals. And he's very athletic and he fits what you want in a modern day small ball four or time will tell if we can if he can play the three full time as well and I I think this is such a really good pick to start this new era off with Karnishavis and Eversley because if you can get more players like a Patrick Williams that can give you some two-way ability that have good basketball IQ that are versatile I think that opens up the door so much for this team and as, as Mark was saying earlier, like, when's the last time the Bulls have had three wings on the floor who are 6'7", six, 6'8", six, who can guard and can be competent offensively and who can complement each other's skill sets? And I feel like if the Bulls can start building in a way where that comes to fruition long term with some younger pieces, I think that's going to be really exciting. And I I, I remember when we were talking to uh, to Spencer Perlman a few shows ago when we brought up the Jaron Grant, Paul Millsap kind of like hybrid uh, comparison in a sense, both players who were on the, who are on the Denver Nuggets uh, under Carnage to this. I, I kind of like that in terms of what Patrick Williams could potentially bring to the team. Obviously his upside might be even more than that, but it's a really exciting pick. And I, I really liked what I saw from him, especially with the jump shot. It looked like his form was, uh, better from what we saw in college yeah it looked it looked really positive the jumper now you know we'll see how you know during the regular season once teams start scouting him how often he can sort of walk into his mid-range shot dribble into it that might be a shot that sort of gets taken away in time and it'll be interesting to see how he sort of uh, varies it up from that point I don't know if he's quite comfortable yet from the three-point line but obviously he'll need to add that to his game just from a uh just just to to to, to um to vary his attack, I suppose, to pro- uh, provide a different type of look from the power forward position that he currently can sort of bring. But I, I yeah, like I said, he just looks super confident. He's going to put a lot of pressure on this Bulls front court, whether it's Otto Porter Jr. at the three or even Lowry and Wendell at the center uh, power forward and center position. Just because of the fact that you can sort of throw him around at least at this point across multiple multiple positions, mm. depending on the look. And depending how Patrick Williams is sort of pushing through, he's going to potentially put a lot of pressure on Larry Markin and at power forward. And that may send Larry to the bench at some times. Or if Wendell Carter isn't necessarily playing well, maybe you can shift uh, someone like Larry up to center because Patrick Williams, as we sort of discussed just before, his help defense and his rotation defense, particularly at the rim, that was probably where he's, at least coming into his rookie season, that was probably where his, his value defensively was going to be, less so on the perimeter. That's the kind of power forward you want to put next to a center who isn't that great defensively, let's say. So, depending on who that established front court guy is, if Patrick Williams is coming along and he's sort of barking at the door of needing more minutes, then he's going to put a lot of pressure on a lot of these front court guys. So, uh, that, that itself is going to be an interesting, uh, an interesting dynamic. So, that brings us to the elephant in the room which is Lowry Markkinen's future with his team. And there's been uh, different reports about what a contract extension will look like for him and whether or not he really fits what this uh, new regime wants to do with the roster going forward. 
he had a he had a solid game, I think, in uh in the preseason debut. I think like thirteen points, five boards, maybe like five for eight from the field, three for five uh from three. And we saw him put the ball on, on the floor a couple of times and get to the hoop, and that was nice to see. But Lowry Markinen remains sort of a mystery in the sense that we have seen some highs, and especially a lot of people were, were gonna point to that uh that February after the uh the Otto Porter trade where Otto Lowry and Zach just went off and looked completely great together and that's that's just right on our refrigerator as the proof that marketing can be this really good player but of course that is sandwiched in between a lot of uh a lot of highs and lows as well so it's sort of hard to uh, assess what marketing can be long term so uh pat question but what did you make of his uh, preseason debut, and what did you make of what do you make of his future with the team in terms of a contract extension, Mark? Yeah, look, he he was decent. He was fine in preseason game one number one. He didn't necessarily do anything that wowed me. Uh, he chipped in with his thirteen points, as he sort of mentioned before. His, his three ball was probably the most interesting thing. Like, he was three from five from three point line. Um, Maybe we look at this game a little bit differently if he's shooting like he was sort of last season. So he shot 60% in this game, but if he was shooting closer to league average or, you know, had a, a one from five performance, then maybe we're, we're being a little bit more harsh on Lowry. But uh, yeah, look, he, he was fine. He didn't do anything that really excited me, to be honest with you. And the same questions and concerns that I had entering this season uh, still exist, which obviously was going to the, be the case. There's only just one one preseason game, but I, the fundamental questions that I have for Larry Markinen aren't necessarily going to be uh, addressed during this preseason period anyway, which is kind of an issue in the sense that obviously they need to agree to an extension. They don't have to, but if they want to get an extension done, then essentially they need to, to get it done before the regular season starts. So I don't know. I just have I just have fundamental questions about whether you can run t- you know two big lineups uh, or have two bigs in your starting lineup. I think they have to at some point make a decision on Lowry and Wendell, particularly now that you have someone like Patrick Williams, who I still believe is more of a four than a three. I think at some point you have to, you will have to make a decision. Now, maybe that, maybe part of that decision is re-sign Lowry now, give him an extension, and then maybe look to trade him or even Wendell at a future date. But rather than just letting him walk and losing him for nothing, I think that is part of the decision-making process. But um, look as to what the what number I would give Larry, what I would I think he's de- what deserving of that, that that's a really hard question because it it sort of feels like Larry wants to stay in Chicago based on what he said in uh, you know media week let's call it mm. uh, Artur's kind of show was also very clear in saying that they want to bring Larry back like that is a goal for them so it seems like both parties want to get a deal done before the regular season starts obviously money talks we'll see if the, the money's speaking the right language. But um, yeah, look, I, I would be, depending on the number, I would be concerned. If it's anything greater than his cap hole, which is $20.1 million per season, I'll be very scared. <laughs> to be fair, even a deal at $20 million just completely changes his value if he is just going to be a guy that gives you 15, 15.7 rebounds. Like if that's all he is, only shoots at league average rate, maybe 36, 37% from the three-point line, paying that type of player... $20 million would be kind of problematic. I think his number is probably closer to the $15 million range, which is, you know, average starter type money. And to me, that's what Lowry is at this point. I'm hoping he proves me wrong. I hope he has a huge season and 
you know, uh, shades of that Feb 2019 run come back and we see more of that. I'm not convinced of it, but it is, yeah, the, the clock is effectively ticking on Larry Markman, whereas in years past, we had we had time to, to wait and see. Now, you know, that time doesn't really exist at the same level like we used to have. Mm. I kind of wish he could play center. Like, it would solve yeah, so much. It would, sure. yeah, it would solve so much for this team. And, Seeing, like, a lot of people say, like, you know, he's, like, the prototypical four, but he isn't. In today's league, the prototypical four is guys like Siakam, um, guys like, and to lower extent, the Morris Twins, uh, P.J. Tucker, those guys that can kind of play, that that play the four, but they can also switch over to the three at times. Um, so, th- it, like I said, with him, it's just, like, if – if he can't give you high production on offense, what else does he really provide? Because defensively, he isn't much. We we see how bad he is on rotations. We see he's not a rim protector, obviously. So it it just it just makes it such a tough situation for the Bulls. And even when with Wendell, who I really like, um, he has to show a lot more as well to make us really make a you know to say okay that one of these guys can at least lock up the center position or um thinking that patrick williams is going to be the power forward one of these guys needs to probably lock up the center position going forward yeah in in theory when you look at both players and what their realistic or at least practical upside is wendell carter in theory should be a good fit for what the league is trying to do and what this front office wants to do because he can he's very versatile defensively he's a very good defender very good passer I I think there's still a lot of untapped skills there with Wendell Carter Jr. that we just have to get him in the position to showcase with Lowry Markinen as both of you have said he's an offensive player but he's not really elite at anything offensively his shooting was touted as his elite NBA skill but he's been very streaky as a shooter through three years and if he can't guard five if he can only guard some four you're not getting really any defensive value at that so at this point for me I I just question why you would even give Lowry Markkinen a big deal at this point or even going forward unless it was just a complete under market deal that is just very uh cap friendly but i don't think that's going to happen at all so it's just it like like mark 20 million dollars scares the hell out of me i wouldn't do that at all and i i just think this might be a case where you if unless he shows significant improvement and we start getting that that february lowry more consistently unless that happens i feel like this is a pretty easy call at this point <laughs> yeah i wonder if the league does the league do incentive deals anymore like maybe you can give them 15 million but then <laughs> put incentives in i don't know if that's possible anymore yeah i, don't, I'm yeah, not I believe sure. so i believe so i think you, you can you can build that into the contract but obviously he does have some leverage here because the bulls but not just only the Bulls, but a lot of teams have sort of engineered their cap space next season to have a lot of cap space. Now, uh, the free agency that was meant to be so vaunted, this 2021 free agency where so many big names were coming up, is looking 
a little anemic right now with, you know, we, we just saw the other day, Paul George signed an extension. Anthony Davis took a five-year deal. LeBron took an extension. Those guys are off the board. Uh, Bam, Bam took an extension right now. Uh, who else? Donovan Mitchell, Jason mm-hmm. Tatum. There's a lot of guys taking extension right now. It, it's kind of kind of fall on uh, Giannis and um, and Kawhi. They're really the big names, but those two guys too theoretically could sign extensions at some point. And if they do, then the free agency class of 21 will look pretty damn bad. And you're going to have so many teams with cap space to the point where it probably won't be a contending team, like one of those teams like the Raptors, let's say, who was saving their cap space for Giannis. They're probably not going to buy high on, or buy low, let's say, on Larry Markinen. But if there's a team like the Hornets, they, they probably don't have the cap position. They're just, I'm just using them as an example, but like a, a okay pretty average sort of type team that wants to make a splash and, and maybe use that money on someone, then someone like Larry Markner may become an option for them, particularly if all these all these names sort of come off the board. So whilst we're sort of scared of paying him 18, 20, 22 million dollars, whatever it might be, I'm I'm pretty convinced that he would probably get that money from someone else. Not now, you know, if he does, you know, good good for him, I suppose. But we even in this off season where we've had a pandemic and the whole issue with China, like twelve months ago to the almost to the day, I mean, you had those huge macro uh, financial elements hanging over the league, and despite all that, guys were still pulling in th- uh, huge, huge contracts. Like if Jeremy Grant can get a deal where he gets paid for twenty million dollars over three years, mm-hmm. well, not over three years, but twenty million dollars for three seasons. Um, I mean, I'm pretty confident that Lowry can can extract a, a decent sized deal out of someone. So in that sense, it just becomes a bit of a, a gamble as to whether you let him play the restricted free agency mark, uh, restricted free agent game. Do you let him play that? Maybe he gets an offer less than what even you're offering. That's obviously uh, an advantage for the team. But maybe he gets something that you weren't prepared to match. You lose him for nothing. There goes an asset. Maybe it's a bit of sunk cost fallacy at this point, but at the same time, if you can sort of bring him back now on a decent number, get him get get him to put pen to paper, then maybe you can use him in a trade down the line where beyond this season, the Bulls don't really have any big contracts on the roster. I mean, Otto's expiring, Thad and Sadoransky, they potentially are off the books at the end of this season. I guess you've got uh, Zach Levine's number at around $20 million, $19.5 million. But beyond that, you're going to have guys on rookie deals or cheap contracts. So if you want to trade and move these guys, it just becomes a lot easier to maybe trade someone for a star or package these guys for hopefully a star if they can attract that, if you have some money to make it work as well. And maybe with Lowry at a number close to 18 or $20 million, even if you're not comfortable with it initially, maybe you can sort of use that as a deal, package up Lowry Markman, Kobe White, a couple picks, whatever it might be, whatever the package is, to go and get a disgruntled star, whoever that person may or may not be. I mean, that's that's something to consider or to, to factor into the calculus. Obviously, again, there's risks in this whole thing, but really... Any way you look at this whole situation, there's a bit of a gamble from either side on how it's going to play out. So, it's definitely the most fascinating storyline beyond the on-court play for the for the team right now. We'll see how it plays out, but um, I'm kind of leaning towards them getting an extension done. You think it's going to happen? I don't know. Yeah. Just but just based on the tenor of how the both camps have sort of discussed this thing, uh, I would be surprised if they don't. And and Larry strikes me as the guy that. 
I, I, he doesn't strike me as a guy that wants to be wooed in for agency, like from other teams. <laughs> I don't know if he wants to go out there and chase contracts. I don't know if he wants to be go out there and be wined and dined and have, you know, billboards of him put up all over the place and those sorts of things. Maybe I'm wrong, but he just doesn't strike me as that type of character. I think he wants to stay in Chicago. I think he would probably uh, be willing to take a percentage of a discount to stay in Chicago. Obviously, what, what, what that number is, well, I don't know, but I, I kind of think he's not really about that kind of existence i think he's probably more inclined to just work something out with his incumbent team stay where he's comfortable he doesn't strike me as a guy that wants to sort of go outside of his comfort zone mm. so uh, i'm assuming he wants to stay in chicago obviously we'll see if anything gets done but uh, just the way they've been talking both sides I, it wouldn't surprise me well uh, uh, depending on who you ask maybe maybe kd will be that disgruntled uh star because i don't know if you guys saw that uh instagram yeah. live with kyrie uh it was pretty goofy but also also Giannis might still be in play too because apparently his barber uh was the one who said that he's gonna leave so man it's it's so goofy i, I love the nba <laughs> just, just the goofy Is things it- that happen around this league i just Always this is, keeps us entertained. Is this barber from Chicago, or is this barber is this barber's agent Mark Bartlestein, or anything? <laughs> I don't know. That'd be, that'd be funny. That would be nice. Uh, so, Markinen's Markinen's impact on this season will surely say a lot about how his contract negotiations will go uh, in the off season, and within that. We're looking at the Bulls uh, over-under for the upcoming season. And right now, according to Westgate, the Bulls have the 11th uh, best over-under in the Eastern Conference at 30 and a half wins, just above the Hornets, Pistons, Knicks, and Cavaliers. That, That sounds about right, I think, on paper. I think those would be the only four teams that you would surely look at and say, I think the Bulls are definitely better than them. So, uh, question to both of you guys, what do you think about the over-under and do you see the Bulls going, like which direction do you see the Bulls going with in terms of that 30 and a half this season? To me, that number seems like, well, I'm hoping it's on point. I'm hoping it's not much more or less than that, but <laughs> it, it's kind of one of those numbers where it feels it's pretty close to what I would have expected or hoped for. So, you know, sitting at 30 or so wins, which is, you know, equates to 30, 34, 35, uh, 34 or 35 wins in an 82-game season, that kind of feels about right, or at least where I'd hope it would land. And, and, you know, being 11th in the Eastern Conference, again, that kind of feels right. Like, I have him in that tier of, of teams with Orlando, with Charlotte, maybe with Washington as well, who are sort of just sitting outside of the top eight uh, at the moment, at least, based on what we've seen. Maybe that changes, but... They're kind of in that tier of team to me. They're not in. Uh, they're not a playoff team to me just yet. So I think that kind of feels about right. But if I was to have to, if I had to make a, chi- a choice, was it whether to go over or under? I guess my questions about the playmaking of for this team, the backcourt, that could really, like I said from the top, like Kobe White is going to this season really hinges a lot on Kobe White, which is kind of unfair to, to on him to be on. To be honest with you, it's. To, to hope that he can sort of develop into this lead creator when he hasn't really shown signs of that ever really before. That's kind of unfair, but a lot is going to hinge on Kobe White. Factor that in with, you know, if, if it doesn't necessarily go to plan, there aren't a lot of uh, option Bs or Cs on this roster right now. 
Uh, and when you start thinking about where this season could head if it's not materializing properly, particularly through the first 20 games where the, where the, where the team's schedule is quite brutal, then I think the under is maybe more likely, potentially when you factor in things like come the trade deadline, maybe this Bulls team looks very different to what it currently does right now. Maybe you, you trade off someone like Otto or Thad or Sadoransky or even one of these core younger guys. So I'm kind of leaning towards under if I had to choose one based on my skepticism about this backcourt, whether they can really play make for others. And if they can't, what that impact or the impact of that for the wider team, what the ramifications will be, what that may mean in terms of the, the roster construction as we move through the season. I'm going to go the under and, and say that they sort of get 24, 25 wins. Yeah, I'm I'm on the same level, uh, like, you know, mindset as I had. I was looking going into the season thinking like 29, 30 wins. Uh, and I think that would be an improvement compared to last season. Uh, when you look at the winning percentage-wise, um, I think it's maybe nearly a 10% improvement. But same concerns like you know we don't know if we really have a a a team that can move the ball we don't know if kobe can really be that guy that turns into eventually some sort of a playmaker i don't know if he'll have to resort back to zach being the primary ball handler uh there's so many question marks with this team and obviously we've talked about the question marks uh, up front with larry and wendell and then the other thing i also consider is i think Unless something really positive happens uh, to start the season, obviously we're gonna starting the season is gonna be a pretty tough, tough like first twenty games. Uh, you wonder if AK is gonna make trades, especially with some of the veterans like Thad Young. Um, I don't know if he'll move Sato just because we don't have a real point guard, but um, if he moves like Otto Porter, for example, that could also put an effect on how many games they end up winning. So that's going to be intriguing to see how these first like 20 or so games go. But in the end, yeah, I would also take the under uh, just because like, all those question marks are there. Uh, but if they hit that 30 win mark, I mean, I think I'll be pretty satisfied because I think we'll see some kind of improvements uh, from these young players uh, that we wanted to see. And, and it'll be, I think it'll be some kind of a positive going into the off season and depending on what AK wants to do going forward. Yeah. 30 wins would put them at about a 41.6 winning percentage, which seems like a, uh, that seems like a, it's not, it's not anywhere near 500, but it seems like a pretty high, maybe, maybe that's like the percentage you will get. If you think that, okay, the bulls eventually click under Donovan down the stretch and they finish strong, like you would think, okay, then they finish with 30 wins. But if there's struggles, if there's injuries, we've mentioned the tough uh, opening stretch that they're going to have over their first 20 games, the under seems about right here. And uh, again, I, I'm fine with that, provided that the Bulls are playing a practical style of basketball, which I, I think is going to happen. And we see players put in better positions to succeed. This is still a really young roster. And there's going to be a lot of growing pains. There's going to be a lot of mistakes. Players are still going to be figuring things out. So, and most of the league, and we and we talked about this on the uh, on the last show. Most of the league right now seems to be competing for a playoff spot. There doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of teams that are 
like entering the season with tanking in mind or entering the season looking at this as a as a transition year or an evaluation year but the Bulls are one of those teams that are looking at this potentially as an evaluation year so I think when you put that up against teams who are definitely competing for a playoff spot maybe for that play-in game whatever may have you I think there's going to be a lot of struggles and again that's fine as long as everything just makes sense from what they're struggling with and what they're succeeding with so yeah I'll definitely say the under there yeah yeah and I really do think a lot of it's going to come down to those first 20 games and that those 20 games the first 20 games at least a lot of it's a lot of it's on the road a lot of it is is against good western conference teams Mm -hmm. so in a lot of ways that is good that the fact that we get to see this unit this core get a chance to to go up against real competition to see if they can do it against real competition. Maybe it would for the players at least, maybe it would have been preferable for them to um to get more momentum building into that to then face those teams later on. But for us as fans, maybe for AK himself, getting an understanding as to how this these guys look as a cohesive team, assuming they can be a cohesive team, against actual competition particularly in the first 20 games and then sort of using that information to, to assess can Larry and Wendell play together? Can you have a backcourt of Kobe and Zach together? How does how do the whole pieces sort of fit together? Do they even fit together? Those sorts of questions, larger fundamental questions that we all have, either about individuals or the collective. I think that first 20 games is going to go a long way in terms of setting up what will be their bull season. And, you know, if they come out of that first 20 games looking half decent and maybe get close to 500. I'm expecting them to have a losing record during that run. But if they can go 8 and 12, and, and like you sort of said, Edward, like put together a confident a confident run where they're showing signs of both ends. Yeah, maybe they drop a game, or here, a game, a game or two rather here and there, but they, you know, they win seven or eight games and get close-ish to 500. That would be a pretty good outcome versus, say, going 5 and 15, looking like last season, everything all over the place, the team having no idea how to function on offense, the defense not coming along either. The the uh, the scope of how this thing could sort of play, play out over the first 20 games, there's just so many different variables. It could go a bunch of different ways, but it's ultimately going to determine not only the win or loss, the win-loss record for this season, but potentially what this team looks like going forward over the next number of years. So from that point of view, I'm hoping we just get answers. Whatever those answers are, good, bad, or indifferent, I just I just want some answers. And I think that first 20-game slate of the season should, in theory, hopefully, give us some answers. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think we, we've gone so long without just league average head coaching. Jim Boylan's been bad. Fred Hoiberg, I don't think as bad as Boylan, but also wasn't a an average NBA coach or even a good NBA coach. So just having Billy Donovan here and having his staff, I think we're going to get average at least NBA coaching. I think we're going to get better development. It seems like they're putting more coaches and more personnel in place for better development to take place. So provided those things happen, this seems to be a season where we're going to get these answers and we're going to see the front office make the necessary moves to get things in place. Like we, we've mentioned it a bunch of times before, if 
someone like Kobe White is not able to really grasp that role as a lead or primary or even secondary playmaker, that's going to tell you a lot about what you're going to need for this team to really be effective because there were a lot of possessions in that preseason game where you're just looking at it and you're just like, yeah, it's very clear that nobody on this team is a primary uh, playmaker at all and they can't really create forever consistently. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how this season plays out and what answers we do discover with this team. Mark, thank you for joining us again on Bulls Gold. Always a blast talking Bulls basketball with you. Can you let our listeners know where they can find you at, what you've been working on, and yeah, we hope to hear back from you soon, man. Yeah, look, firstly, thanks for having me back, guys. It's always, I always love talking Bulls, but um, you know, specifically with you guys, having known you guys for for some time, um, it, it's always good to come on and and talk about this frustrating team. Hopefully, hopefully, there's better days <laughs> ahead. But um, yeah, you can follow me online on Twitter is where I'm mostly at at this point. Um, just always talking Bulls for whatever reason, no matter how bad or good they are, I, I can't escape this team. So at MK Hoops is where you can follow me on Twitter. I'm always talking about the Bulls over there. You can catch me on my own podcast, Bulls HQ. Find that wherever you find Bulls Gold, you'll be able to find Bulls HQ. Not really doing much blogging these days, but you know we'll see what happens during the season. But um, if I do put something to uh, to the paper, then um, yeah, again, you can sort of find that on Twitter. But um, again, thanks for, thanks for having me, guys. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and hopefully we get a, a better showing for the remaining preseason games and into those first 20 games that are of the season as we were discussing. Absolutely, no doubt. So check Mark out on Bulls HQ. Give him a follow on Twitter. Salim, any uh, final words before we wrap up? No, no final uh, words and overall. Just thanks again to Mark. Uh, it's always a pleasure having him on. It's been a while, obviously, since we had him on, but uh, definitely give him a follow because he's he's one of the uh, best bull fo- Bulls follows on, on Twitter, basically b- breaking down a lot of different aspects of the game and, and players and stuff like that. So definitely follow him there, and then we'll see what happens um, tonight. Hopefully we see at least better effort. That's the biggest concern for me. Yeah, absolutely. Just hoping to see better effort, seeing them correct the issues that uh, played them in the first game and seeing if we, again, get closer to finding out some more of these answers about this team. But that concludes this episode of Bulls Gold here on Nothing But Net Radio, a part of Dash Radio. You can check out our past shows on Podbean, on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And you can always catch us here Tuesdays, 9, 8, AM Central on Nothing But Net Radio. And for Salim Surawala, I'm Edward Schuler, and we will catch you next time. Bullsman.